preach the word of God, and this is actually, I was telling myself, wow, Lord, this is the last time in 2011 I I get to preach the word. It is. So I better do it right. I better do it wholeheartedly. I'm I'm almost feeling like it's the last sermon of my life or something. I don't know why. So if you have that attitude, maybe I'll scream a lot. Let's turn to... um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 to 12. Pastor D.L. told me that we are concluding this Advent series. So I just wanted to pick up on that same theme, Christmas, and a sermon from this passage. This is a Christmas sermon. Worshiping with the wise men. Lord, we ask that your teaching of the word through these unworthy lips would return glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Chapter 2, 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose wet went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What would have happened if there had been three wise women <laughs> instead of three wise men? Ever hear this? Recently, someone conjectured and came up with some suggestions. They would have asked for directions to the stable locally instead of going to Herod. They would have probably, secondly, arrived on time and maybe help deliver the baby. They would have cleaned the stable and brought something practical, like a casserole or something for the family. (laughs) And there would have been peace on earth. (laughs) The point here is that we really don't know too much about these wise men. We do, however, know that they were men and not women. That we know. What do we really know about these wise men? Not much when you examine the scriptures. Where did they come from? Well, it says from the east. But where in the east? How far east? 
Jordan, Iraq, Iran, China, Korea. I mean, how far east did they come from? We know they came from the east. They came from a long way off. We don't really know where they came from. Most agree that they came from Babylon or Persia, which is modern-day Iran or Iraq, but we really can't be sure. Question, how many of them were there, and what kind of men were they? Again, we don't know. In the second century, a church father named Tertullian, he suggested that these men were kings because the Old Testament predicted that kings would come to worship them. He also concluded there were three kings based on the number of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the manufacturers of nativity scenes caught on. And so in every nativity scene, till this day, you see three wise kings or something like that as little statues. But the Bible doesn't really tell us who they were or how many of them really came. Can't be sure. Question, what were their names? In the 6th century, someone decided that their names would be Melchior, Balthazar, and Gaspar. So now operas have been written ascribing these names to them. But no one really knows what their names were. And then question finally, why were they called wise men? We don't even really know that they were wise. <laughs> um, in the original manuscripts, the original, right, the original, the Greek, right, the original, uh, the word is magi from an ancient Iranian word, magoi, which was used to describe people, people who acted strangely. <laughs> who, were, who were captivated by astrology, spells and incantations, and dressed in very bizarre manners. The Latin word is magi, from which we get words like magician. But we don't really know who they were, where they came from, or even how many of them there were. Why not? Why doesn't Matthew here give us any more information on these men? Well, I'm not sure I know exactly the reason why Matthew did it. But I'd suggest that all this detail was left out, out of this picture, in order that the full emphasis and focus will be on the one thing that is central to the story, namely their statement, we have come to worship this child. That's the central story. That's the main part, that's the main point of this particular story as Matthew tells it to us. We have come to worship him. Matthew doesn't want to focus on these magi. He wants to, us to focus on the maker, Jesus Christ. Right here in this story, a babe born in a manger in Bethlehem. We need to focus on Jesus and worship with the magi. So therefore, today, let's worship with the wise men. And the challenge for us today is whether we will also be wise men and wise women during this Advent season who will worship with Christ. Jesus is Christ. Can we really worship him? I sure do. I sure want to. Why did they come to worship Jesus? And why should we worship Jesus today? I believe through this passage that we read, we can focus. Secondly, Jesus is the servant king. And thirdly, Jesus is the humble king. He's the servant of all, the servant king. I'm sorry, he's the king of all, the servant king, and then the humble king. We'll end with some responses that we should give to him. First, Jesus is the king of all. In verse 2, it says, they said, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? King of the Jews. But is he really the king of the Jews? It just, it, 
Yes, he is, of course. He's the king of the Jews. But he's much more than that. Jesus is the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the Messiah whom was foretold was coming in years past throughout Jewish history. He's the long-awaited Messiah. The king of the Jews had come to Israel at last. But not even King Herod, not even the chief priests, not even the teachers of the law recognized him. Nobody recognized him or paid attention. Now, there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only in two of the Gospels, they talk about the birth account of Jesus. You guys know which ones? Well, here's this one, Matthew, and what's the other one? Not a rhetorical question. Matthew and Luke. But we're looking at Matthew here. And in Matthew, uh, he wrote to Jewish readers. Matthew wrote to Jewish people. And he wrote, one of the reasons he wrote to them was to show that Jesus truly was the Messiah. And yet the Jewish people rejected him. This is one of the purposes for Matthew's writing this gospel. He wanted to write to the Jews to show them, look, he, this Jesus really was the Messiah. And during the days he was here, you leaders, the leaders at least, had rejected him. So from the outset of Jesus' birth account, in Matthew at least, he paints a picture of nobody else worshiping him except these Gentiles. Now in Luke, of course, there's the Jewish shepherds. Do you see what Matthew's trying to show us here? He's trying to show that in this birth account of Jesus, the, 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 the long-awaited Messiah of Israel has come. And there's no Jew worshiping him. Instead, these foreign Gentile people from the faraway east come and worship him. Is Jesus the king of the Jews? Yes. But no Jews worship him. Jesus is not only the king of the Jews, he's the king of all. The king of the Gentiles. The king of all nations. Even from the Christmas account, there's already missiological implications. Immediately. Matthew starts with these Gentile Jewish nations represented at the Christmas birth, or the, the birth account. And he also ends his gospel with the Gentile nations. Matthew 28, go into all nations. All Gentile, ethnic people. You see, Matthew wrote to Jewish people. One of the reasons he said, guys, look, he came not only for us. We're so proud, we thought we were the chosen people. He came for them too. How did these magi know about Jesus? How did they find out? How do? Well, the Bible doesn't clearly say. But one thing we do know for sure, this actually happened. It's in the scriptures. Right? The eternal word of God, it's written here. So God had somehow ordained for the magi to be there uh, after Jesus was born. But how did it happen? But we can guess what might have happened. And I like to conjecture, but I don't like to preach about it, but I'm going to kind of like say this is what I think might have happened. In Numbers 24, 17, an oracle by the prophet Balaam was spoken, actually to the Moabites, saying, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Israel will grow strong. A ruler will rise 
out of faith. So there was a prediction given to Gentile nation way back in Numbers that a star will rise out of Jacob. Now, this is conjecture time. Perhaps down through the ages, this oracle, right, which was recited to Moab, a Gentile nation, was passed down and circulated among the Gentile nation. We can't be sure. So I'll tell you, I'm not sure. Or perhaps some remnant Jews in Babylon passed the notion of a Messiah to come, explained the oracle somehow, I don't know, and that word gets, kept spreading. But I can't be sure, so I'm going to say I'm not sure. Or God simply gave them a divine revelation, these magi, and so they came. But at any rate, somehow they received a revelation from God in some way, whether it was through the word, through the oracle, or through a divine revelation. There was, there was some sort of communication from the living God to these wise men from the east. And when they saw that peculiar star, like no other star they'd ever seen, they concluded in faith that this was the one. Somehow they knew for sure that the Messiah had come now. So they set out to meet this new king of the Jews and to worship him. And I think what a stirring and moving story this is. The point is, was it the Magi who were so clever to figure this whole thing out? Were they the wise? Was that why they're so wise? They were so smart, intelligent. They could, like, tell astrology, figure out the stars. Is it because they were so smart that they figured it all out? I think not. Was it the oracle of Balaam that passed down through tradition, kept well by the Gentile people? Perhaps, but I think not. Was it the remnant who preached these things to their Gentile neighbors? Perhaps, but I think not. Ultimately, I believe it was the gracious hand of God who wanted to show that he came to earth to save not only Jews, but to save the whole world. I did not come for only Israel. He, he wanted to save. I don't love just Israel. During the days when every tribe, every country, every nation had their own tribal deity, Jehovah God wanted to say, I'm not just an Israel tribal deity. I am the God of all gods. And I've come for all people. And, I, and to show that, I made, he's saying, I make sure that there's some Gentile representatives after I'm born. Truly, he is the king of Jews. He's also the king of all people. And I believe this is Jesus just showing his character. You know, these men came where? From the east. In the Old Testament, anything that comes from the east is evil. Babel, the Tower of Babel is, was built out in the east. Everything considered evil comes from the east. The, 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 the non-east is where Israel is, where Judah is. It's the blessing area, the land of promise. The east is cursed place. So to have men from the east come to celebrate after the birth of Jesus is to show that God is graciously, graciously providing a way for evil sinners like you and me outside of the supposed Jewish line of blessing to come to God. And so what is my response to this? Worship him. Worship him. When those guys found him finally, the baby, they went in and they just bowed down and worshiped him. Truly, he is my king. He is your king. He went so far to show from the beginning that he came for all people. Oh, what grace. Now, you and I are probably not a Jew, but you sit here today because of this characteristic. He came to save people like us from the East. 
for the vast majority of Asian people, we are from the East. <laughs> but no, I don't mean that. I mean, people of sin. He came to save us. Oh, what grace. What care, what love. What distance he goes through. Show he came for us. Let's worship him. Secondly, not only is he the Jewish king or the king of all people, but he is Jesus, the servant king. The servant king. Three gifts here are offered to Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold is a gift for kings back then. No one else gets gold. Uh, you give gold to kings. And so only royalty would receive such a gift. And by giving him this gift, they were proclaiming that he is a king. And even the Jews didn't recognize him as a king, but these Gentiles recognized him as a king. Frankincense is an incense used to pour over sacrifices. I want to know if that's true. You look at Leviticus chapter 2. And frankincense is used tremendously during those, the grain offering and food offering. So the Magi probably, without knowing it, was giving Jesus, oh, and it's also given only to royalty. So that's why they did it. But probably, without knowing it, they were giving Jesus frankincense to cover over the sacrifice that Jesus would one day become for us. And myrrh is also a gift for royalty but was used for embalming and burial, reserved only for kings and royalty. That's a strange gift. At someone's birth, you give them an embalming burial gift. Right? Wow, I mean, they had the whole bases covered. They really, really, really wanted to honor him from birth till death. And perhaps without even knowing, the Magi was pointing forward to Jesus' death and burial. So in these three gifts, we see two things. We see Jesus is the king, gold, and Jesus is the king who will die, frankincense, and myrrh. Jesus is the servant king. He is the sacrificial king. He came so he could sacrifice himself for us. It's as if from the first day on earth, we already know what his last day on earth will be like. From his birth, we know the purpose of his life and death. Jesus was born so he may die. Why? Because he's the servant. His whole life he came just to serve us, to sacrifice for us, to pour out sacrifice, to be buried one day, to die. He did all that for us. Um, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Our response is worship him. Worship him. Do you know this Jesus? The one who calls you his savior? Will you worship him? Thirdly, not only is he the king of all people and the servant king, but he is Jesus, the humble king. The humble king. The Magi traveled a long distance to seek Jesus, didn't he? Um, because Magi, Magoi, comes from an Iranian word, for me, I think he came from Persia. I think they came from Persia. Well, they didn't have planes and automobiles and trains back then. They probably came by camel. I've ridden a camel. Uh, they can run, but not too long. Uh, it's a long journey. Right? It took us once, like how long, Cindy? Like, I don't know. It was just like 10 kilometers. It took us like all afternoon. Let's go 10 kilometers over desert. 
don't want, you know, a lot of people think like the Magi were there when he was born. I don't think so. I think Jesus was a little bit older. That's why King Herod did a search and they killed everyone two years and under. Figure out when the star appeared to them. It could have been as long as two years they were traveling. I don't know. But they travel long distance. They traveled from Persia to Bethlehem, didn't they? But there's someone else who traveled even further. Yeah, you know who it is. Jesus. It's Jesus who really traveled a long distance, isn't it? The Magi traveled from Persia to Bethlehem. Jesus traveled from divinity to humanity. From heaven to earth, from creator to creature. The Magi traveled over nations. Jesus traveled over nature. While still remaining divine, he became human. Traveled over nature. The Magi traveled a long distance to seek Jesus. But Jesus traveled an even long, longer distance to seek us. Jesus is the ultimate. Why would Jesus do all this? Because he's the humble king. Because he wants to show his people that he loves them. Because to him, lowering himself to creature level is nothing when you love someone. Will you worship him this Christmas? There are two kings depicted in this passage. King Herod and King Jesus. What an amazing contrast between these two. King Herod is the epitome of selfish pride. King Jesus is the epitome of selfless humility. King Herod wanted to kill everyone to be king. And King Jesus wanted to be killed to be our servant. Oh, King Jesus, what humility he had. What is your response? Let me suggest to you four responses. First is one I've been already saying. Number one, worship him. My king humbled himself so much to come and seek me. Oh, Lord, I worship thee. Will you do it? These wise men came far not to discuss international relations with the king, not to go sightseeing in a new land. Because that's usually when we travel, that's what we do, right? Not for leisure or vacation purposes, but they simply came to bow down and worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. This challenges me. Do I really come to church to worship Jesus? Or do I come to church because it's my job as a pastor? It's been said, isn't it, that the clergy only work one day a week. In other words, they come on Sunday and they don't worship, they work. That's it. I'm not saying Pastor Deals like that. But King Herod, he offered false worship. Remember what he said? He pretended that he wanted to worship Jesus. He said, go and find him so that I may worship him too, right? Not. You want to kill him, that's why. You liar. What a bad king you are. Um, No, he wanted to do it because he wanted to remain king. Are we like that? Do we pretend to worship Jesus on the outside look like you're really, really a worshiper? But inside, really intend to be the king? We do. I know I do sometimes. We only have two choices in life. One, either you are the king, attitude of Herod, or two, Jesus becomes your king, the attitude of Magi. What attitude will you have in your life? 
but actually what you have in your in this Christmas. Some of you, when you go down to Ecuador tomorrow, will you worship yourself and make something of yourself in your life, or will you worship Jesus and make more of him in your life? I pray everywhere I go that people, Christians, will stop trying to make something of themselves. We try to build our own little kingdom. We call it ministry or church or mission. But God sees the heart of it. But I pray, even for me, first of all, that I would worship Jesus and make more of him. Second suggestion is humble yourself before him. Only the humble ones worship Christ. The Magi were humble, I think. Humble because I think they travel so far for a different, to a different country and a different culture, especially that we live in a postmodern day where it's kind of right and good to accept other cultures. It wasn't like that back then. It wasn't even like that 20 years ago. I mean, my culture is right. Your culture is wrong. My food, that's good. That is weird, right? This, the way we do it, that's the right way. You guys are primitive. Or you guys are just kind of got your head on screwed, screwed wrong. You just need to follow our way. That's how it was. And wars happened because nations didn't like each other and they disagreed. But now we live in an era where there's a United Nations where there's peace around the world. Where at least, and even that doesn't work, right? So how humble they were when they, you know, we're Persians or wherever they're from. They would travel miles and miles to a different country, a different culture, humble themselves and admit that there is a Messiah from a different people, from a different culture, from a different nation. They humbled themselves. And they humbled themselves so much that they traveled that distance to worship. Only the humble ones actually come to worship the humble king. Thirdly, worship him from your heart. Verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they were like something exceedingly with great joy. They were, okay, something like that, right? They had great joy when they saw the star. Worship is a joyful worship. If it's not joyful worship, it's ritual worship. When you really worship, your heart has to do it. I mean, on the outside, you could be doing it, you could be doing it, you could be doing it. But when God sees it, it's a ritual if it's not from your heart. Real worship is a joyful worship. These men, imagine they were traveling away, wanting to see the king, and then the star that they remember seeing back there suddenly appeared. They were just so overwhelmed. And that's why when they got and saw it, the first thing they did was just get on their knees and start worshiping. It comes from the heart. It's the joy of a distant traveler who finally gets to his destination after months of hiking. It's the joy of the merchant looking for fine pearls and finally finding the pearl of great price. It's the joy of the pirate who finally discovers the hidden treasure chest. You know what I'm saying? It's joy. Like, let's worship Jesus, our king, with joy. Because he's better than a treasure chest, better than a little pearl. He's the king of kings, Lord of lords. He came to seek you. Does God's word bring you that kind of joy? Because when they saw the star, they were joyful. That star was the revelation from God. For us, the revelation from God is his word. Do you see the star in God's word? Do you get overjoyed? When you see the person of Christ, I hope you will this Christmas. 
finally, fourth suggestion for our response. Worship him by offering yourself. This Christmas, will you give yourself? You're giving a lot of gifts, right? You're buying gifts and giving it to people and getting them. Will you give one more gift? Will you give yourself to Jesus this Christmas? The wise men offer gifts. I wonder if is Jesus receiving a gift this Christmas? What are we offering him? Jesus gave us himself as a gift. And through our gift, and though our gift doesn't match the same gift he gave, we should at least give him a gift ourselves. Let's not let our King Jesus be robbed of what is due him. Now that reminds me of when I was in college, Valentine's Day. I don't know what it was, but one year in college, I was riding the bus back to my dorm. Students were all in this romantic Valentine mood. One couple was sitting together in the bus, enjoying each other's company. One guy had flowers in his hand with a smile on his face, thinking about his girl. Um, like, what kind of reaction she'll have when she gets it. Another girl was writing a card to her boyfriend. Everyone was getting Valentine's Day gifts, expressing love for the one that they love. Except Jesus. <laughs> you know, it was like, I thought... On the day that people express love to the one they love, the one who should get it the most is Jesus. So I mean, I was just a sophomore in college. I was young, passionate. I went straight to my dorm room, took out paper, and made a love letter to Jesus and everything. Mailed it without an address, because it'll go to heaven, right? (laughs) On this Christmas day, let's not let Jesus be robbed. Christmas gift. We all get stuff. He doesn't get anything. Let's let that gift be ourself. You'll probably spend some time this holiday with family or friends. Spend some time with Jesus. That's how you give yourself, or at least one way. Right? Give him the gift of yourself. You're going to eat what? What do, you, what do you eat? I don't know what you guys eat. Ham? Turkey? What? You know? Pop? Kimchi? Why don't you eat the Word of God? Spend time with him. Because if you do, you'll be worshiping with the wise men. Spend time with him. Love him. Surrender to him. Sing to him. Worship him. Some of you go to Ecuador. Give yourself to him in your heart. Close with a story. It was Christmas Eve, and both the sky and the ground were white with snow. And it was 8 o'clock. Time to go to church for the annual Christmas Eve celebration. They're going to have next next week, right? Or tonight. Sammy could hardly wait. Sammy. He was so excited, wondering what present would be on the tree for him this year. Because every year, all the kids get a gift from under the tree after the service. Last year, he got a telescope. Every year on Christmas Eve, the children would gather around the huge Christmas tree, and each one was handed a present with their name on it. And even though Sammy was a little old for this, they still let him take part in it. Sammy's parents left early that night because his mother was singing a solo, Silent Night, and she wanted to practice. They were the first to arrive at church, and when his dad opened the car door, well, you can guess where Sammy went. That's right. At the speed of light, he went right to the Christmas tree and started to examine all the gifts before the service. And he found the present with his name on it. Well, he was at least looking. And after a few minutes, he began to worry because he couldn't find it. Where's my gift? 
Then his eyes caught hold of a big box, the biggest present that was there. He slowly walked over to it, lifted the card, and there in a great big letters was his name, Sammy. Oh, man, this is mine. He couldn't believe it. The biggest present was his. His mind began thinking at the speed of light of all the things that could be in that box. Oh, yeah, that big TV. <laughs> TV. A horse. <laughs> a tent. A bike. What was in it? Sammy could barely stand it, but he knew he had to wait. So Sammy really did enjoy the service, really. Just thought it was three days was a little too long for a service. That's how it felt like to him. Finally, it was over, and all the children rushed to the huge tree. Preacher Joe started picking up presents and calling out names. Sarah, Bobby, Susan, Sammy was on the edge of his seat. He was about to burst with anticipation. Preacher Joe walked over to the big box and said, well, let's see whose name is on this one. Before he could read the name, Sammy said, yeah, that's mine. And so it is, Preacher Joe replied. Sammy took the box, gently took off the bow. His heart was racing like a jackhammer. His mom and dad stood beside him smiling, enjoying their son's excitement. Sammy removed all the paper, laid it beside the box, and then he began to remove the lid. And in his mind, all the things he hoped for flashed before his eyes. In just one second, finally Sammy got the box open. He looked inside, and he saw nothing. He saw nothing. Someone played a huge joke on him. <laughs> when Sammy lifted his head, huge tears were streaming down his face. Who would do something so cruel? Who would play such a mean trick on Sammy? The box was empty. Every day all around the world, the same trick is being played. The names, tuition a little different. The results are still the same. Our world promise you, promises to give us a gift. And they wrap it up. They say it's happiness, wealth, or pleasure, relationships, fame, success, power. The world wraps it up in a great big box, pretty paper, beautiful bow, hands us a box as a gift. We get excited. We look inside, and just like Sammy, it's empty. No hope, no life, no joy, no happiness. Just huge tears of heartbreak streaming down our faces. That's the kind of gift the world will give you. Have you ever opened one of her boxes? I think you have. And it's not that fun, is it? But Jesus offers us a different gift, himself. When you open his gift, you'll find love for all people. A king who serves and dies for you. And one who is so humble, he would lower himself, become a human, be with you. Yeah, I know, it's not spectacular, it's not glitzy, it's not like fun, 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 tinsel wrapped. But it is real. It's humility, servanthood, sacrifice, and love. If you humble yourself, you can receive it. Don't look for temporary gifts this Christmas and in this life. Receive the most eternal gift of all. Jesus Christ, the humble servant king, came for all people. I also like to think of the story a little different and turn it around. 
Instead of Sammy being us, imagine the pastor and his parents are us. And Sammy is Jesus. What do we do? We give Jesus all the promises of a beautiful gift. But when Jesus opens it, it's empty. We tell Jesus we'll give him beautiful worship. On the outside, externally, it might look very fine indeed, but on the inside, it's an empty gift. It's just empty worship. This Christmas, let's receive the eternal gift of Jesus and give the full worship gift back to him through our worship. And perhaps we'll be able to worship properly with the wise men. Now, I know that this church has gone through some tragedy the last few months. And the more and more I think about and hear his story, our brother Joshua reminds me a lot like Jesus. Not about Jesus. Like Jesus, Joshua thought of all people. He wasn't just thinking about the Korean Americans here, but he thought about those people as he went. Like Jesus, he wanted to go and serve. So he went and served. Like Jesus, he tried to be humble, leave the comfort zone and go far down south and serve those people. I hope this week when we go there, we will start to show more and more the character of this Jesus whom we worship to these people. But even then, it's really not about Joshua or even us, the team going down there, right? In the end, it's really about Jesus, right? The one who's the king of all, the servant king, and the humble king. Let's seek Jesus this week. For you, it might be your first time. I don't know. Maybe you did it when you were young or old, but would you really seek him right now during this time? Would you pray and ask Jesus, Lord, I really want to worship you now for the rest of my life. I'm sick of being my king, having myself in view. It's always been empty when I try to do it my way. It's time for you to be the king in my life. I hope you can pray that prayer. As I end here, I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and just spend some time with the Lord in prayer. Lord, I have been so often acting like the king of my life, of my family, over my parents, doing whatever I want to do. Maybe it's time for some of us to confess some things to the Lord. He really wants you to make him the king. He says, if you acknowledge me as your king, you know what? I serve you. I'm a servant. I don't lord it over you. I'm humble. I'm a king for everyone, even the, the worst of sinners. You can come to him now and say, Lord Jesus, that's it. You be my king now. You be the king of this Christmas you be the king of this trip for some of us going down and the rest of us who are sending them. You be the king. You take over. You be in control. Let's take a moment and commit our hearts to the Lord in prayer.